Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today's episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast is sponsored by The Truth. And the reason it's only sponsored by The Truth is because advertisers lack the courage to sponsor it, at least when the content goes against the mob, the same mob that was able to successfully intimidate a jury into convicting Derek Chauvin on all three counts That same mob is also able to intimidate sponsors or advertisers not to advertise or sponsor content to which the mob takes exception. You see, the mob doesn't like anybody pointing out what they're doing, and so they want to silence the truth. However, they can't silence me regardless of what my sponsors want to support I can continue to put out content, at least for now, which is a reason why, you know, everybody who listens to me on YouTube needs to be aware that who knows how much longer YouTube will allow me to speak the truth on their platform. Now, YouTube is owned by a private company, so if they want to silence me, if they want to cave in to the pressures of the mob, uh, they may do that. So remember that if you ever see my content disappear from YouTube, go to shiftradio.com because they won't be able to intimidate me out of putting content on my own website. So if you're used to listening to me on YouTube, uh, hopefully I continue putting content on YouTube. But just in case, remember shiftradio.com is where you can hear my content. And so by the way, what I am doing with this particular podcast I wanted to comment further on the conviction of Derek Chauvin. He was convicted, I think, a couple of hours after I finished yesterday's podcast entitled Trial by Mob Injustice in America. And in fact, I was contacted by the sponsor of that podcast 
based on the fact that the mob had been intimidating them and they really wanted me to remove their ad from my podcast. Now, so on Shift Radio, it was very easy to do. We just cut it out. But on YouTube, there was no way to do that. So I had to remove the YouTube video, which had about 45,000 views at the time I removed it. We removed it. We eliminated the uh, sponsor's commercial and then re-uploaded the same video exactly the way it was. So I didn't make any changes to it. I just did not want to expose my sponsor to the wrath of the mob. Now, I don't begrudge the sponsors for making these business decisions. After all, they're running a business, right? They're not advocating uh, for anything. They're just trying to sell products. And if they're going to be intimidated by a mob because they're worried about their business, then they just want to distance themselves from the content. But the problem is that we're letting the mob get away with this, right? The mob is preventing justice from taking place and they are also cramping down on freedom of speech. So why anybody is celebrating what is going on right now, they should be mourning the death of freedom, the death of liberty, the death of the rule of law. I mean, what happened here is a travesty. You know, first of all, the mere fact that this jury convicted Chauvin on all three counts, murder in the second degree, murder in the third degree, and manslaughter. The fact that they found him guilty on all three, that in and of itself proves that the jury didn't even care about the facts of the case. They were not there to dispense justice. The job that they were there to do was to convict Derek Chauvin. That's why they were there. In fact, that is what Maxine Waters demanded. She was leading a protest in Minneapolis saying, we will accept none other than guilty, guilty, guilty. All three charges, the jury must return guilty verdicts or else we're taking it to the streets, right? She was threatening to lead the mob in violence, in looting, in rioting, unless the jury did its job and convicted Derek Chauvin on all three counts, and that is exactly what the jury did. Except that was not the jury's job, but unfortunately, the jury was intimidated by the mob, which is precisely why I said that the trial court erred in A, not sequestering that jury to somewhat limit the mob's ability to intimidate them, but because they live in the community where the mob exists, that's why the judge also erred in not changing the venue out of Hennepin County to have a more honest trial. Because everybody wants to pretend that, see, even a scumbag like Chauvin was given a fair trial. No, he wasn't. There was nothing fair about this trial. It seems like the conviction was already preordained. The trial was just a farce. Right? It was just a way to pretend that we were dispensing justice when we were dispensing mob vengeance. First of all, the only reason that there were three charges, in theory, was to give the jury a choice right, between how bad do they think it was. Right, The most serious charge was murder in the second degree. 
Now the least serious charge was manslaughter. So did Derek Chauvin murder George Floyd in the second degree? I mean, we know it wasn't first degree. That would have been premeditated, right? That would have mean he arrived on the scene already planning to murder George Floyd. I mean, so they, did, they didn't have the nerve to charge him with first degree murder. Although I have a feeling if first degree murder was in fact charged, he would have been convicted of that too. In fact, he would have been convicted of anything the government wanted to charge him with doing. But the most serious offense was second degree murder. Now, the least serious is manslaughter. So do you think he killed him in the second degree or did he just commit manslaughter, right? Now, the third degree murder, well, that was kind of added last minute to kind of give the jury a third option. Well, it wasn't as serious as second degree murder, but it wasn't as less serious as manslaughter. So we're going to have some middle ground, right, where you can maybe compromise. Let's say some jurors say, no, 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 it was second degree murder. And other jurors like, no, I don't think it was that serious, but I I think it was manslaughter. Maybe they can compromise on third degree murder. But no, there was no compromising. He was convicted of killing George Floyd in third degree murder in second degree murder, and in manslaughter. I mean, how could you possibly be guilty of all three? It seems like if you murdered somebody in the second degree, well, then that's all you did. You didn't also murder them in the third degree. And if you murdered them in the third degree, you didn't also commit manslaughter. But this jury wanted to throw the book at Derek Chauvin so badly that they convicted him of all three charges. In reality, he should have just been convicted of one, right? But no, He got convicted of all three. Why? Because that's what the mob wanted. That's what Maxine Waters demanded that he be convicted of all three. But the fact that he was convicted of all three is proof that the trial wasn't fair, that the jury didn't give a damn about the law because the only count that is legally defensible is manslaughter, right? The other ones, murder in the third degree and murder in the second degree, do not even apply to the circumstances of this case. They, he never should have been charged with those crimes. He was only charged to appease the mob, and then he was convicted to appease the mob. Now, you can argue about manslaughter, right? Manslaughter is at least defensible. Had the jury come back and only convicted him of manslaughter, right? That potentially could have been a valid verdict for this jury. Although given all of the intimidation, I would still have not accepted it as fair because maybe the jurors did not think the government proved their case at all on anything, but they couldn't set him free because they were worried about the ramifications. So they're like, look, we don't think the government proved the case, but we got to convict him of something. So let's just convict him of manslaughter. That might've been the jury's thinking. And if that is the case, it is not a fair trial. Look, people can disagree about the manslaughter, right? Because when I initially looked at it and saw the the footage, the bystander video, I thought that it might've been manslaughter and it may well be but it may not be. And I do not think the government proved beyond any reasonable doubt that this was manslaughter. And remember, that is the standard. You don't convict somebody if they probably are guilty. They have to be guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. 
So if you think that maybe Derek Chauvin is guilty of manslaughter, that ain't enough. You have to think that he is guilty of manslaughter beyond a reasonable doubt. And I personally don't think the government met that burden. A, and I explained this on the podcast I did yesterday, so I'm not going to get into it a lot today. But A, I do not think Chauvin's knee played a decisive role in George Floyd's death. I believe that even had Chauvin not placed his knee in that position and he simply maybe just held him down by his shoulders with his hands, I still think that George Floyd would have died based on the stress on his heart of those circumstances, based on the drugs, based on his underlying health condition. The only thing that I believe may have saved the life of George Floyd would have been had the officers acted sooner in the performance of CPR. That may have saved his life. The same may be true for the paramedics who arrived on the scene, but who did not immediately perform CPR. They loaded him up in the ambulance and drove away before they did CPR. Maybe had they done it sooner, he would have lived. I don't know. But the question is, did Chauvin have a valid reason for not administering CPR? And again, as I explained in my previous podcast, I think he did. I think there is a reasonable explanation based on the circumstances for why he chose to wait for the paramedics to arrive on a scene. Now, was that the best decision? Well, certainly with the benefit of hindsight, it was not because he ended up dying. And personally, I think he could have made another choice. I think given the size of that crowd and the number of officers there, I think they probably could have safely administered CPR once it was obvious that George Floyd uh, was no longer conscious or he had passed out. So I think they did make a mistake in judgment, right, from my perspective. But I don't believe that constitutes manslaughter, right? You know, people make mistakes and people die. What about doctors? Think about all the people that die every year on an operating table because a doctor makes a mistake, right? We're all human, including doctors and including the police. Doctors make mistakes and sometimes people die. And you know what happens when a doctor makes a mistake and a patient dies? The doctor gets sued. In fact, it happens a lot. That's why malpractice insurance is so expensive because there's a lot of suits because people die when doctors make mistakes. Well, sometimes police officers make mistakes and people die. Like maybe in this case, the police officers made a mistake. Now, maybe George Floyd would have died anyway. We'll never know. He may have had such problems because of the drugs and his heart conditions and the stress and the high blood pressure and whatever was going on at the time, maybe even if they administered CPR sooner, he still might have died. We have no idea. That's part of the problem. But if George Floyd died because these policemen made a mistake, they exercised bad judgment, okay, you can sue the police department, which they've done, and the uh relatives of George Floyd got, I think, $27 million because the, the, the city admitted that they made a mistake. But it is not a crime. We do not throw doctors in jail when somebody dies on their operating table because of a mistake. But now we want to hold police officers to this standard that, hey, you can't make a mistake 
Because if you make a mistake, you are going to jail. I mean, that's what we're trying to do with a police officer who inadvertently shot a suspect who was trying to escape and she reached for her taser. But instead of her taser, she inadvertently grabbed her handgun and fired it. That was clearly a mistake. But now we want to put her in jail for making that mistake. So if we're now going to hold policemen to this standard where, hey, you make one mistake and you're going to jail, hey, we're going to have a hard time finding people who want to be policemen. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I can see a jury, assuming we actually had a jury that wasn't being intimidated by a mob, It is possible for jurors to look at the facts and come to a decision that manslaughter was committed. Look at uh, Alan Dershowitz. I listened to him. He was on uh, television. He thinks that Chauvin is guilty of manslaughter, but he doesn't think he got a fair trial. He thinks it's going to get overturned on appeal. In fact, he thinks it's going to have to go up to the Supreme Court and it's going to get overturned, which it absolutely should. In fact, it shouldn't even have to go up that high to get thrown out. Clearly, this was not a fair trial. The whole thing, I think all three of the charges have to be thrown out. It has to go right back down uh, to the trial court level, and they should retry Chauvin only for manslaughter. That should be the only charge. But he needs to have his case outside of Hennepin County. It needs to be a jury that does not live uh, in the vicinity of the mob where they can be intimidated and threatened. And they need to be sequestered so they don't hear all of this nonsense and they can actually be fair and impartial jurors because that is what Derek Chauvin is entitled to. And, you know, again, even if you believe that he is guilty of manslaughter. I mean, if you believe he's guilty of murder, then you have no clue what's going on. You didn't pay attention to anything in this case. You don't even understand the definition of second degree murder or third degree murder because you don't even realize that those charges can't possibly apply to what happened. But if you believe that he's guilty of manslaughter, you still can't support this conviction because you know how it came about. You have to support the principle of a fair trial. You have to support the principle that people are innocent until they're proven guilty by an impartial jury of their peers and the government must prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. That is the bedrock of American jurisprudence. You know, you go back to uh, the quote from Benjamin Franklin, right? Benjamin Franklin said, I think he was paraphrasing somebody else who said it earlier, but Benjamin Franklin said, it's better for a hundred criminals to escape justice than for one innocent man to suffer. That has been what America is about. We don't want innocent people to go to jail. And therefore, we're willing to let the guilty escape punishment to avoid punishing the innocent. And so even if Derek Chauvin is guilty, 
in order to preserve that legal principle, it's okay if he goes free because it's better that some guilty people go free than innocent people get punished who did nothing wrong. Because what this precedent is setting is that innocent people will be punished in the future. Now, maybe Chavin is innocent right now, right? And he is being punished. But I would rather allow a guilty Chavin to go free than an innocent Chavin to be punished for crimes he did not commit. That is the principle. That's why the government has the responsibility of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Again, not beyond all doubt, just beyond any reasonable doubt. They clearly did not do that in the case of Derek Chauvin. And that is the problem. And the other problem is that he didn't have a fair trial because the jury was intimidated. We have no idea how many jurors cast a vote to convict, not based on the evidence, but based on the external pressures uh, from the mob. And the way we know for a fact that they did this is that they convicted him of all three counts. There is no way that they could do that if they were simply basing their verdict on the evidence. At most, they would have convicted him of manslaughter. Now, maybe if they thought he committed second-degree murder, well, they would have convicted him of second-degree murder, but then why convict him of third-degree murder and manslaughter when you've already convicted him of an offense that is greater than those offenses that would basically include those lesser offenses, you know, wrapped up in it, right? Second-degree murder is just third-degree murder even worse, right? So if you're, if you're guilty of second-degree murder, what's the point of throwing third-degree murder into the mix? And then why say you also committed manslaughter? Again, all of this proves that it didn't matter. It didn't matter what he was charged with. didn't matter what the evidence was. didn't matter what the testimony was. This jury had their marching orders from the mob, from elected officials, from the federal level to the state and local level, they were charged with convicting George Floyd. And that is exactly what they did. And now they're going home as heroes, right? Because had they acquitted, they couldn't even go home. They'd be in hiding, right? They'd be, they'd be afraid for their lives, uh, as, which is another reason why they had to convict because it has a huge impact on their own lives. It wasn't like they were just thinking, how is this verdict going to affect Derek Chauvin, right? No, no, no. The most important thing was, how is this verdict going to affect me? How is it going to affect my family members? How is it going to affect my community? That's what they were thinking about. They weren't thinking about Chavin at all. I mean, sure, they were willing to easily sacrifice him for the greater good, which is what they did. And of course, as soon as this verdict was announced, and again, I think the jury deliberated, what, 10 hours? I mean, I'm not sure exactly, but it was very quick. And normally, when a jury... Uh, returns a verdict that quickly, they acquit. It favors the defense. It normally takes a lot of deliberation to get these guilty verdicts. Because again, you know, the government has a tough burden uh, in proving its case beyond a reasonable doubt. And so there's normally a lot of discussions. Uh, Not all of the uh, jurors are initially convinced uh, that the government met that burden. And so they deliberate, they discuss it. And, and sometimes there's holdouts for a while and it takes a while. So generally, 
uh, convictions take time, but an acquittal, if everybody agrees right away, yeah, they didn't prove their case, it's quick, you know, not guilty, and, and that's it. But in this case, they didn't even have to deliberate, right? Because they already knew what they were going to do before they came into the jury room. Everybody knew it's guilty on everything. Whatever he's been charged with, we have to put a guilty verdict. Because if there's just one acquittal, right, even if they said you're guilty of manslaughter, he's guilty of murder in the third degree, had they acquitted him on murder on the second degree, well, there was a chance they were going to get a riot, you know, so they didn't want to take that chance. So they already knew what they were going to do. You know, the whole thing was just a formality and they just went to the jury room so they could rubber stamp the triple conviction and give the mob exactly what the mob wanted. And of course, they reacted in jubilance and celebration. This is great. This is justice in America. But of course, we destroyed justice in America. Nancy Pelosi thanked George Floyd for sacrificing himself for justice. It wasn't George Floyd that was sacrificed. It was justice itself that was sacrificed. It was American jurisprudence. It was the whole tradition of a jury trial, of requiring the government to prove guilt, that people are presumed innocent, and the government has the burden of proof before it can put a citizen in jail, and it must prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury of your peers. That entire principle of trial by jury guaranteed and secured by the constitution was thrown out the window by this case yet everybody is celebrating it as this is some new high in america justice it is a new low in american justice oh and by the way to talk about george floyd thanking him for his sacrifice for sacrificing himself for justice george floyd didn't sacrifice himself he was killed, he died, right? But he didn't do it on purpose. He didn't just voluntarily sacrifice himself for some greater good, right? It's not like he's, you know, a soldier who threw himself on a hand grenade to save the rest of the troops. He didn't voluntarily die. He didn't want to die, right? He died. But, you know, this he's not Jesus Christ. He didn't die for our sins. Yet that's what Nancy Pelosi is saying. She's basically deifying George Floyd. Like she said that his name shall live forever and be synonymous with justice. George Floyd? Justice? I mean, the reason he may be synonymous with justice is because he was brought to justice so many times over the course of his life. I mean, if you look at what was going on with George Floyd, he was either stopped by police or arrested 19 times as an adult. And from 1997 to 2005, he went to jail eight times, eight separate times. The guy went to jail, you know, for various charges. The most recent and the most serious, he was in jail for four years for armed robbery, home invasion, where he held a pregnant woman at gunpoint. This is the person we're deifying. This is our hero. This is going to be the guy that's forever going to be synonymous with justice. Look, I'm not saying he deserved to die. I feel bad that the guy died. But come on, we can't deify this guy. He's, you know, we can't canonize him as a saint. But that is what is going on uh, in this community. We really should be, instead of mourning the death of George Floyd, we should mourn the death of justice. Now, of course, maybe justice will still prevail on appeal. 
maybe some judges will actually take a look at this and throw this whole thing out and they will be concerned about the legal precedent that allowing this conviction to stand will set. See, that's what a lot of people are not thinking about is the ramifications because a lot of people don't give a damn whether or not Derek Chauvin gets justice because after all, he's a scumbag that murdered George Floyd. But remember, even if Derek Chauvin is guilty, it's better to let him go free and preserve our legal principles. Because if we sacrifice our legal principles in order to make sure that we convict Derek Chauvin, even if the government can't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty of the crimes with which he's been charged, then we have a much greater loss. Because what happens when you're the one who's being falsely accused and now you end up getting convicted even though the government can't prove that you committed a crime? What about all the innocent people in the future that may be punished and imprisoned because we had to make sure that Derek Chauvin went to jail. See, even if Chauvin is guilty, I'm prepared to let him walk if it means in the future other innocent people aren't imprisoned. But now that we've made this sacrifice, now that we're going down this slippery slope, my feeling is that in the future, we're going to have a lot more innocent people going to jail. And you know what? A lot of those innocent people, probably a disproportionate number, are going to be black. And so this thing is going to come back to bite. The very people who are applauding this now are going to live to regret what's going on. And in fact, what is going to be the more immediate problem, and I I hinted at this uh, earlier in the discussion, is going to be the chilling effect that this conviction is going to have on policemen all over the United States and what's going on now with the way the mob is reacting to other incidents where white police officers end up shooting black suspects. I think what's going to happen is that very few white police officers are going to be willing to engage uh, black suspects. I think that in the inner cities, to the extent that Some of the white policemen don't resign, and I think a lot of them are going to resign because I don't think it's worth it because policing is very dangerous, right? There's there's always a risk when you go out on these calls that you could get killed, so you have to be able to defend yourself. But if you're afraid of defending yourself because you may end up in jail for the rest of your life, then you're just not going to get involved, right? So to the extent that you don't resign because maybe you just have a few years left before you can collect your pension, you'll just try to just go through the motions, but you will ignore uh, any calls. You will not engage. You will not try to uh, protect the community because you don't want to sacrifice your own life in the process. So there's going to be a huge increase in crime in these inner city communities uh, where you have a large population of, of blacks because they're going to know that the policemen are going to be afraid of engaging them. They're going to be afraid of injuring them or killing them. And so therefore, they are going to be emboldened in the commission of crimes. Now, maybe some of the other black policemen won't feel the same pressure because obviously they can't be accused of racism. But who knows? I mean, you know, look what happened with... um. George Zimmerman, right? I mean, he was Hispanic, but they labeled him a white Hispanic so they can make a racist out of him. So you never know. But 
I certainly think that the white policemen will be far more intimidated by the mob than maybe the black policemen. But, you know, and so to the extent that they can find a way to replace some of the white officers with black officers, that may help police the neighborhoods. But regardless of what they do, crime is going to go up. More people are going to get robbed. More people are going to get murdered because the police are going to be afraid to do their jobs. And of course, in order to get people to sign up to be policemen, given what the new reality, you're going to have to pay these guys a lot more money, right, to take on this kind of risk. So the costs are going to go up. And I think, you know, people are already leaving the cities, right? A lot of people want to get away from cities now because, hey, they can work from home. The taxes are going up. Well, the crime is really going to go up, again, as a result of uh, this conviction and what else is going on. And if they're going to have to pay the police more money in order to get them to be willing uh, to put themselves in harm's way, the crime is going to go up and the cost of policing is going to go up. So this is just more reason for people to get the hell out of Dodge, to get out of these cities to escape not only the high taxes, but escape the elevated crime. And so the people who end up suffering, right, are the people in these communities who are now celebrating, right, the incarceration of Derek Chauvin. They are going to live to regret this because this is not some watershed moment uh, in, in, in history that's going to usher in some new golden age. In fact, when you look at the way President Biden is talking about it, and he gave a speech yesterday, too, to basically say, yes, this proves that we have systemic racism in America, but this conviction is like the first step in the healing process, that by convicting Derek Chauvin, we're kind of acknowledging our sins. But what I'm now worried about is how he believes we're now going to atone for those sins in the future with all sorts of socialist programs. This is going to be the justification for more government spending, more programs, more reparations, bigger deficits, right? All this stuff is going to happen and the excuse is going to be George Floyd having been murdered by a white racist cop. Derek Chauvin is merely symbolic of the police force in general and all the people in America, because we're all basically racist when you get right down to it. And we're now just coming to terms with our racism. And this conviction is the first step in dealing with it. But we have many, many more steps to go. And Joe Biden, of course, is going to lead the way and show us how we get to this a promised land. But I want to just you know wrap up this you know podcast again to remind everybody that the reason I am doing this podcast by itself. I have a lot of other stuff that I was going to talk about today, and I think I'm just going to put that out tomorrow uh, in a podcast that's going to focus more on the markets and the economy is because I want to make sure that to the extent that I discuss these types of topics that the mob objects to uh, in order to spare my sponsors the, 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 the problem of having to deal with it, I want to make sure that I, that I carve out this type of content and put it in isolated podcasts so I can separate it from the advertisers. Now, you know, I'm not the only person with this take, right? I was listening to the Ben Shapiro podcast, and Ben's take was pretty much exactly mine, 
I mean, he pretty much had the exact same take as me. He is outraged at the convictions. He doesn't think that there's any way that Chauvin is guilty of murder in the second degree or third degree. He also doesn't think the government proved uh, manslaughter beyond a reasonable doubt. He thinks the jury should have acquitted on that charge as well, although a conviction there is at least understandable. It's at least possible that you could read into that. But again, this jury was so intimidated that it doesn't even matter what their decision was. It clearly wasn't an unbiased one that they derived from simply looking at the facts and the evidence. Uh, This conviction was a result of outside jury tampering, which is in effect what was going on and which the trial court allowed. The trial court should have declared this a mistrial. In fact, the trial court never should have allowed the trial to go on in Hennepin County, and it should have sequestered the jury. And of course, there were lots of other uh, errors. uh, The the, the trial was replete uh, with reversible errors that should win in an honest appeal. But my point about mentioning Ben Shapiro is I'm wondering to what degree his sponsors may have some blowback. Is he going to be punished uh, for doing this? Because for me, I mean, I'm starting to do these uh, sponsors on my podcast to create a business here, but I don't need the money. I mean, I make my money uh, as an asset manager. That's where most of my money comes from. So uh, even if all my sponsors leave, it's not really going to uh, affect my lifestyle. But a guy like Ben Shapiro, I mean, this is his business, right? His podcast is his business, and he really depends on sponsors for his livelihood. So hopefully he doesn't experience a, a real backlash, but I'm not the only one. You know, there are some people who expressed negative opinions on my last YouTube video. I made a tweet about this, you know, where I expressed, uh, you know, this sentiment, and I lost hundreds and hundreds of followers. In fact, if you look at my last podcast, although you can't see it now because we took it down, the one on YouTube, but there were a lot more thumbs down than I normally get. Now, there were more thumbs up as well than I normally get, but I have a feeling that a lot of these thumbs down dislikes were not coming from my normal podcast audience. They were coming from people who learned about the podcast and found out the spin that I had, right, that I did not support these convictions. And so they went to the podcast and just gave it a thumbs down, right? Because they want to do that. And I think that the calls that my sponsor was receiving, right? Because what happens is people see who the sponsor is of this objectionable content, right? Which is basically telling the truth and they want to silence the truth and they see who sponsored it. They call up those sponsors and they threaten, how can you support this content? We're going to boycott your product. We're never going to use your product again, even though they probably don't even use it in the first place. And they threaten to convince others to stop using the product. And so then the sponsor feels pressured and has to back out of it. So I think the people who are calling my sponsors are not regular listeners to my podcast. I mean, my willingness to speak frankly about this topic is not going to surprise any of my regular podcast listeners, nor will my regular podcast listeners believe that my position has anything to do with racism. You know, for all the accusations early on that this Uh, death, that what happened to George Floyd was racially related with all of the film that you see in the trial, all of the body cams, all, you know, even the bystander video. But at all times, the officers are speaking very respectfully to George Floyd. 
They never call him names. They never use an, a racial epithet either to George Floyd or among themselves, right? They're concerned for his well-being. I mean, you can argue, well, if they were concerned for their well-being, he wouldn't put his knee there, but they were telling him, relax, you're going to be okay. You know, you don't want to be in the car. I'll sit with you. I'll turn the air conditioning on. I mean, there, there's no evidence whatsoever, regardless of what you think about whether or not their conduct constitutes uh, negligence to the degree that it is manslaughter. There is nothing at all that indicates that race played any role in this incident. Unless you're simply going to believe that had the police showed up and the person who supposedly spent the counterfeit $20 bill, if George Floyd happened to be white and did exactly what black George Floyd did. He had exactly the same amount of drugs in his system and behaved and resisted exactly the way he did, that somehow the police just would have done something differently. They just would have let him go. They wouldn't have tried to take him into custody when he said, hey, I'm a good guy. Uh, I can't breathe. They just would have said, okay, sorry to have bothered you, sir. Be on your way. Have a good day, right? If you think that they would have done that, right, because he was white, they just would have let him go. Uh, but there is no actual evidence based on what the policemen said to themselves or each other and what they said to George Floyd that indicated that their behavior, the way they handled this situation, had anything to do with the race of George Floyd or that they would have behaved any differently if George Floyd were white. The only thing that would have been different is if George Floyd was white, none of these officers would have been charged. Derek Chauvin would not have been convicted of anything if George Floyd were white. And I also think if all four of these policemen happened to be black and the circumstances were the same, then nothing would have happened to Derek Chauvin. And in fact, if George Floyd were white and all the police officers were black, again, nothing would have happened. The only reason this became a national story, the only reason the mob demanded a conviction was because it fit the narrative of racist white cops kill innocent black man. And that's why the mob needed this conviction. They needed to validate the fact that this guy was guilty. Although part of me thinks that maybe there were some members of the Black Lives Matter movement that were hoping for an acquittal as even more proof of how racist the system is that an obviously guilty man was acquitted. And of course, it would have provided yet another excuse for more riots. And so it may have been that it didn't really matter the outcome, that Black Lives Matters and this agenda was going to win regardless of the outcome. But I think based on all of the pressure that was put on the jury, there was no other outcome that was possible. And again, this is the same type of pressure that is being put on not only my sponsors, but anybody's sponsors, probably anybody who is putting out this type of content is having the same type of pressures. And I wonder if the same thing is happening to Ben Shapiro. And in fact, he had Candace Owen as a guest on his podcast. And again, Candace Owen, who happens to be black, had the same take as Ben and I. She did not think that Chauvin should have been convicted on any of the three counts. 
she believes that he should have been acquitted. She believes that he never should have been charged. And she's black, right? And she believes it. So again, it's not racist for me to have these same views that other people have. The racists are the ones that are claiming that our opinions are based on race. It is a racist who is saying you only think Derek Chauvin is not guilty because you're a racist. No, that's not true. I don't think he's guilty because I don't think the government proved guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. It's the people who think Derek Chauvin is guilty simply because he's white and the person who died is black. Those are the true racists. Anyway, that's it for this podcast. I will be back with another regular sponsored podcast that will uh, contain my normal uh, content of uh, market analysis, uh, economics, and stuff like that. And again, in the future, whenever I want to comment on these type of topics, I am always going to do it as a separate podcast. And that may work out better for people who don't particularly want to hear my opinion on these type of topics. So if you see a podcast that has uh, a title that looks like it's going to be on a social issue or something like that, then you don't have to listen to it. Right? You could just wait for the podcasts where I'm talking about the markets and economics because you're not going to find any of this type of content mixed in there. It's going to be isolated to its own podcast. So the people who are interested in this content, you have the ability uh, to, to listen to it. And for the people who don't want to hear it, you don't have to. And this also will, in a way, protect my advertisers because they won't have to worry that I'm going to say something that might offend somebody uh, on one of the podcasts they sponsor. Although who knows what may happen again. YouTube may decide that since I make these comments at all, right, on some of my podcasts, you never know, they could completely deplatform me. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that were to happen one time, which is why, again, I said at the top of the podcast, make sure that you note the Shift Radio website. A lot of people already listen to the podcast on Shift Radio, but if you're listening on YouTube, make sure you know that if one day you wake up and my YouTube channel's not there, that doesn't mean my content isn't there. I will be putting out the content at shiftradio.com. Thank you.